This is the One Verse Podcast, where we liberate scripture from religion one verse at a time. Welcome to the One Verse Podcast. I am Jeremy Myers. This is episode number 89. We're looking at Jonah 3.10 today. I've titled this, The Repentance of God. Sort of a challenging idea, I know. I mean, last episode, we looked at the concept of repentance, what it is. And uh, in previous episodes, we have discussed evil, what it is. And so now we come to the really hard questions. Does God engage in evil? Does God ever need to repent? (laughs) Probably your answers to both questions are no. But what we read in Jonah 3.10 seems to indicate yes to both answers, that God does commit evil and he does need to repent. That's a challenging idea. Yikes, right? (laughs) Uh, So that's what we're going to look at in today's podcast episode. And hey, I just got back, what, uh, I guess two days ago from the Renew Conference in uh, Minneapolis, St. Paul, Minnesota. And I bet a bunch, uh, I, I met a bunch of you there. If um, you're, oh, at the risk of, I know I'm going to leave someone out, but let me try to remember a few. Uh, let's see, shout out, of course, to Chris and Hannah Milkins from New York. Hey, thank you so much for lunch. It was great meeting you and talking with you over the uh, days of the conference. Uh, Brian and, oh no, uh, it's, it's uh, uh, uh-oh, Carol or Cheryl. I, I can't remember. You corrected me at O'Gara's that one night. And now I remember the correction, but I don't remember what the correction was. I'm so sorry. Uh, from Omaha, and I remember what we're talking about. Uh, look, you're going to have to email me <laughs> uh, and tell me once again what your name is. I, I'm so sorry, Cheryl or Carol. Uh, then Trish, of course, the the, uh, the Jesus Vegan uh, from the Ozarks. Thanks for emailing me, connecting with me. Oh, and signing up for the uh, discipleship group, Trish. Appreciate that. Hopefully uh, you find that beneficial and helpful. Uh, let's see. Oh, of course, Naomi from New Zealand. Yes, I met, uh, she, she's the farthest, the one that came the farthest away in the world to the conference, all the way from New Zealand. It was fantastic meeting you. And of course, say hi to Brian and Mike as well. I've been emailing you about them today. Uh, let's see, uh, uh, Jill Shepard. It was fantastic meeting you. Thanks for posting the pictures on Facebook. Uh, let's see, uh, Dan and Barbara Kent. Uh, Dan, I'm loving your book. Uh, it's, it's fantastic. I'll leave a review if I can as soon as I'm done with it. T.C. Moore, the, let's see, he was known as the Facebook defender of Greg Boyd. Yeah, Rex Harrison, coming out with his documentary on gun violence. Can't wait to see it, Rex. Uh, Look, there's so many more. I'm I'm sorry. I'm sorry if I forgot any of you. Um, I know I met so many people, and I'm just having trouble remembering them all. But uh, anyway, uh, listen, of all the people I met, though, uh, it was most enjoyable to meet with you. Lots of people go to these conferences to meet the big name people, you know, uh, Greg Boyd, Bruxy, Rachel Held Evans, some of them. And I enjoyed sitting down and talking with you. And that was the highlight of my trip, chatting with you over a meal or over a cup of coffee or whatever it was. So uh, that's where, to me, that's where the, the true beauty of the conference occurred. So anyway, hey, if, if you came up and said, said hi at the conference, thank you so much. If I just forgot about you, I apologize deeply. Send me an email say, hey, you forgot about me. <laughs> and um, I will apologize. But uh, listen, if, if you feel like you missed out 
and uh, you wanted to get this sort of interaction. It's it's not quite the same as face-to-face interaction, but I do invite you to join my online discipleship group. And uh, there's eBooks, online courses, and we do have a, a private Facebook group that you'll be invited to join as well, where we, you can ask questions and we can interact online. And who knows, maybe connect online so that we can meet in person in the future. So uh, just go to redeeminggod.com join to learn more and sign up today. Now, with that all out of the way, with all that in mind, let's turn to our study of Jonah chapter 3, verse 10. This is probably one of the most shocking verses in the book of Jonah. In fact, in some ways, maybe one of the most troublesome texts in the Bible, because I indicated in the intro, it seems to indicate here that God commits evil and repents of it. So uh, that's why this verse is so challenging. It not only says God repents, but it also implies that he, he does evil, or at least that he was about to do evil to the Ninevites, the people of Nineveh. And uh, before he did, though, they repented, and so he repented in response. Okay, So again, remember, as I've been telling you, the book of Jonah raises lots of important theological questions. What is God like? Uh, what is repentance? What is evil? Right? So, again, we see these sorts of questions brought up here in Jonah 3.10 as well. Now, in the previous episode, when we looked at uh, verse, uh, let's see, chapter 3, verse 9, I did discuss repentance at great length. So, I, I'm not going to say a whole lot about it in this study. If you want to learn more about repentance, what it is, how it works, the various words, Hebrew words on repentance and so on, just go listen to the previous episode, episode 88, I think it was, when we looked at Jonah 3.9. Just to summarize quickly there, though, uh, the word repentance basically means to turn. That's the literal meaning meaning of it. And uh, it can be used of a wide variety of things. I mean, if you're walking down a road, then you turn and go the opposite. So, so even though we most often think it means to turn from sin, uh, only context determines what kind of turning is in view. Okay, so if, if the context says indicates that this is a turning from sin, then obviously that's what it means. But if there's some other kind of turning, so by itself, the words repentance don't mean turn from sin. They just mean to turn, okay? Uh, So now, having said that, most of the time the word uh, repentance in Hebrew and Greek is used in the Bible. It is in context to turning from sin. Not all the time, but most of the time. So I understand why people sort of think about repentance as a turning from sin. Now, when it comes to Hebrew, there's two main words for repentance, uh, shuv and nacham, all right? And a shuv is uh, typically used in reference to a human being turning from sin. Nacham uh, typically is uh, used in reference to the sense of sorrow or feelings of sorrow that that accompany repentance or turning from sin, all right? So uh, here in 3.10, guess what? Both words are used. Um, the, the Hebrew word shuv is used in reference to the repentance of Nineveh, and then the Hebrew word nacham is used in reference to the turning of God. So um, even though, I don't know what Bi- English Bible translation you might be using, a lot of times you just see the word repentance there in both cases. I think a better translation might be to say that Nineveh repented of their evil while God was sorry about the evil that was about to fall upon them, okay? So right now, we can already begin to see an answer to the question about whether or not God repents. I mean, does he? Well, yes, (laughs) Uh, he does, uh, at least 
in, in the reference to Nacham, all right? Um, what, what happens is, and this is what we see here in 3.10, when God warns a human group of people or people about the destruction that is about to come upon them, and then they repent and turn from their evil ways so as to avoid this destruction that is about to come upon them, God himself, uh, he has the sorrow, the feelings of remorse uh, about what is going to come upon them. And so he works, he acts to protect them, to stop this disaster from falling upon them. Okay, and so that is how we can understand the repentance of God here in 310. All right, Uh, God turns, he changes his mind about how to discipline us. All right, and he works to stop the disasters, prevent the disasters that are about to fall upon us. All right, so that's sort of how to understand Jonah 3.10. God relents. Maybe that would be a good way to translate it. He relents, or he protects, or he he causes events to turn so that this disaster does not fall upon Nineveh. So it's not exactly the way we think of repentance. It is a turning, though. He turns the judgment away. He, he, He turns... Uh, the disaster away. He turns it back. All right, so that's, uh, does God repent? Well, sort of, um, but not necessarily in reference to sin. Now, what about evil? Does God commit evil? All right, well, the word is used twice in the text here, uh, once in reference to the people of Nineveh and once in reference to God. Now, Unlike the word repentance, where a different word is used uh, for the people of Nineveh than for the people of God, uh, here in Hebrew, it's the same exact word. In both both cases, it's the Hebrew word ra. All right, so on the one hand, we're not willing to say that God commits evil, right? God does not sin. So so we're not going to say that. We can't say that. That's not true. But on the other hand, whatever we say... We know the people of Nineveh were sinning. They were engaged in evil. So it sort of seems like whatever we say about one, uh, about God here, also needs to apply to the people of Nineveh and vice versa. So uh, how, how are we to do this? I mean, since the same word is used, how are we to understand what is going on here? Well, we need to ask what sort of evil is in view. And the first thing to recognize is that this Hebrew word ra does not actually refer to moral evil, you know, sin, the way we tend to think about it in English. Uh, Instead, the the best way to understand this Hebrew word raw is to think of it as a calamity, a a disaster, or maybe even violence. And it is used this way elsewhere in the book of Jonah, for example, in chapter 1, verses 7 and 8, uh, chapter 3, verse 8, which we already saw a a couple episodes ago, and then in the first couple verses of chapter 4 as well. So, um, basically, when the text says that the people of Nineveh repented of their evil, it's referring not to what we would think of as sin and evil today, uh, but instead to violence against others. All right. And by the way, I, I defend this idea in the opening chapters of my book, Nothing But the Blood of Jesus, where I talk about sin. All right. Sin in scripture is primarily equated with violence. And that's, now this is a different word here in Hebrew, but again, you have the similar idea being brought out. All right, so when the people of Nineveh repent of their evil, what do they actually turn from? They turn away from their violence. That's what we see there in in, in 3.8. So what about with God then? 
Well, God himself does not engage in violence. He is nonviolent. That's, again, one of the things we saw in the conference this past weekend that I attended out in Minneapolis. God is supremely nonviolent. That's what we see revealed through Jesus Christ. So when the text says, though, that God repented of the evil that he was going to commit against the people of Nineveh, it's, it's referring to the disaster that was about to fall upon evil. Okay? But even then, even then, we need to recognize that this disaster, this violence, this destruction, whatever it was, was not going to come from God. God does not send disasters on people. In fact, even here in the text, we don't see him actually send the disasters. We don't see him send destruction. Instead, his only action, his only activity in the context here is to rescue people from the destruction and death, okay, and, and the, whatever, this violence that was going to come upon the city. That's all we see going on here. God rescues Nineveh from the disaster that was about to fall upon them. Some people say, yeah, but if they hadn't repented, the destruction would have come, the disaster would have come. And uh, I imagine that's true. But I don't think we can say that God was the one who was going to send it, or that if it had come upon them, that it was God who sent it. Now, that is likely the way the people of Nineveh would have understood it. And maybe Jonah himself, that God is the one who sent the destruction. Um, but, but look, that's no different than people today interpreting hurricanes and earthquakes and famines and floods and diseases and all those sorts of things as coming from God, right? When, when a, a tsunami hits Indonesia, people say, oh, it's because they're Muslim and God hates Muslims. And so God wanted to kill the Muslims. And so God sent a tsunami. That's ridiculous. God loves Muslims. He loves everybody. Um, he's not trying to kill them. Or the hurricane come in New Orleans or Florida or whatever. Jesus says quite clearly in Luke 13, 4, this tower of Siloam that fell, they're no worse sinners than anybody else. Don't think that that the tower fell on them because God is judging them. That's not the way God works. God doesn't do that. Right? But what happens is we humans, when bad things occur, famines, floods, towers falling, houses collapsing, hurricanes, whatever, famines, okay? But what we humans do is we go searching for an explanation. Uh, and the most convenient explanation is that the people who experienced the calamity, well, they were worse sinners than everybody else, and so God judged them. And that's what we see all over the place going on in the Old Testament. Even in our own day, just watch. Every time there's a disaster, there will be some pastor, some Christian leader, somebody will get on TV or online in a blog or whatever and say, that's because this part of the world, this group of people, they were terrible sinners and God is out to punish them and destroy them and kill them. What happens? That's, I mean, that's the explanation people provide for what happens. And uh, it's that exact same sort of explanation we see in Scripture. Um, by the way, I'm writing an entire book on this, and um, it's going to be called The Bible Mirror. I hope to have it out next year, but if it goes anything like Greg Boyd's book, then I guess look for it in a decade. <laughs> uh, hopefully I can get it out sooner than that, though. My explanation um, will be a whole lot simpler than his, by the way. If Greg, you're listening, <laughs> you'll have to read it. 
Um, I tried to present it in the five minutes. Well, real briefly, actually, in the five minutes you gave me on that uh, final session on uh, s- Saturday morning, but obviously couldn't say much of anything in that time. So anyway, uh, look for it in the future as I explain this. Uh, it's going to be a whole lot more simple than um, his 1,200-page book, uh, which again, a great read. If you haven't read it, you should. Crucifixion of the Warrior God and the shorter version, Cross Vision. Really a lot of food for thought in there, but I hope to present something a little simpler in a future book of my own, which I will title The Bible Mirror. Anyway, um, the bottom line ex- explanation for us from Jonah 3.10, okay, is that the people of Nineveh decided to stop engaging in violence, that's 3.8, and in response to their prayers and repentance, God was able to stop the violent event, whatever it was, we don't know, the text doesn't say, that was going to fall upon the city. All right, and this is a significant truth for us to comp- to understand that we learned from Jonah three ten here. This verse reveals that while God doesn't send evil, right, He does respond to humans. And sometimes, sometimes, are you ready? Sometimes there are things that God cannot do, except in response to humans. Uh, this verse shows that. God does respond, and he does not want destruction to come upon people. That's why he sent Jonah in the first place. He saw the destruction coming upon the city of Nineveh, and so he sent Jonah to warn the city so that God could rescue and deliver the city from this destruction. Now, whatever violence was about to come upon Nineveh, it wasn't sent from God, but it could be stopped by God. Uh, The text says that the evil that God had declared to do to them, in response, he didn't do it. I get that. Um, But despite the wording of those phrases, I I don't believe that God is the one who was going to send the violence, send the destruction upon the city. Instead, he had warned them about it. He was warning them against it. And we humans, you know, whenever we're warned about something, we tend to assume that the one giving the warning is also the one who sent the warning. I think I've talked about this in my One Verse podcast episodes in Genesis somewhere, Uh, probably in chapter three or maybe chapter four. I can't recall when we studied that. But if a a mother, little boy is helping his mother cook and the mother says, don't touch the stove or you'll get burned. And then when the mother's back is turned, that little boy reaches out a hand and touches that hot stove and gets burned. The little boy initially, okay, very initially thinks that the mother is the one responsible for inflicting that pain on his hand. I mean, how else could the mother have known? The mother said, don't touch that or you'll get burned. Little boy hears it as a threat. He touches it, he gets burned, and he thinks the mother sent the pain in his, into his hand for disobeying her. All right? Now, that's the way little children think, and we adults think, oh, we've moved past that. We understand the difference. But do we? When God warns us about, I don't know, misusing creation or mistreating our bodies or failing to love our spouses, right? He says, don't do that or else this is going to happen. And despite his warning, we go do it anyway. And then the calamity or the disaster or we, you know, hurricanes come or or we get cancer or our marriage falls apart or whatever it is. What do we do? We say, God, why are you doing this to me? (laughs) right? We think that because God sent the warning, when we ignore the warning, well, 
the violence that comes upon us must be the punishment of God after all, you know, as a result. But that's not what is happening. He warns us, don't go this route because here's what's going to happen if you do. Not because he is the one that's going to send the pain upon us, but because he doesn't want to see us get hurt. But when the pain does come, he walks with us through it. He will never leave us or forsake us. Um, but he is not the one that sends the pain. So anyway, that's, how, that's what is going on here in Jonah 3.10, all right? Uh, earlier in the chapter, Jonah warned the people that the destruction was going to come upon them. But if it had come, I am convinced that God is not the one who would have sent it. It just would have come. And the only actions in this story from God are his attempts to rescue and deliver the people of Nineveh from the disastrous consequences of their own sin. All right? And so he warns them through Jonah. And what do they do? They respond positively. They hear and respond. And so they are delivered. The people repent of their violent ways. And so God is able to stop the violence that is about to come upon the city. But what kind of violence, what kind of destruction was headed towards Nineveh? Well, the text doesn't clearly say. I mean, was it an earthquake, uh, you know, fire, famine, disease, invading army? There's not, there's not really any way to be sure. However, however, based on the clues all over in the text, I believe that the most, and also what we know about human nature and human history, I believe that the most likely scenario is that the destruction that was about to fall upon Nineveh was the destruction that comes from a contagion of violence that often overtakes towns and cities and communities and even countries, families even, all right? Uh, What happens, again, I've talked about this a lot. We talk about mimetic theory, Rene Girard's mimetic theory, and so on. Even just as we look at human history, we see what's happening even right now with the escalation between the United States and North Korea and you know, Russia's involved and, and China. And I mean, you just, you saw it in World War One, we saw it in World War II. We, this is just human, this is what happens, all right? What happens is a little bit of violence leads to more violence, which eventually spirals out of control and leads to ever-increasing violence until it's, it's this all against all and everybody's involved. It's a contagion of violence that that escalates out of control and consumes everybody and everything in its path. So I believe that the violence that was about to fall upon the city of Nineveh was a contagion of its own violence. (laughs) And so clearly God wants them to repent and turn from the violence. Why? Because then that, logically, stops the violence. By turning from violence they averted the violence that would have consumed them within 40 days. So so their repentance from violence is logically connected to their deliverance from violence. And they got peace. A lot of times we think, well, I'm going to go to war for the name of peace, but it never works. War just leads to more war. Violence just leads to more violence. Again, I, I, I talk a lot about this in some of my books and former podcasts, so I'm not going to discuss it more here. But this brings us really to one of the, the greatest themes, or maybe the strangest themes here in, in, in Jonah. There's sort of a bit of sad, ironic humor here at the end of Jonah chapter 3. So throughout the book, uh, we've seen everyone repenting. 
All right. In Jonah chapter one, the sailors repented. Uh, at the end of Jonah chapter two, the fish repented, you know, sort of by puking Jonah up on the ground. Um, here in Jonah chapter three, we've seen the people of Nineveh repented. We, we, we see the king of Nineveh repent. We've even seen the animals, all the animals are repenting. And here at the end of Jonah chapter three, even God repents. All right. So everybody has repented except for one person, Jonah. Jonah is literally the only one, only being, when we conclude, the only creature, when we conclude animals and and the fish, um, that has not yet repented in the text. From the least to the greatest, uh, uh, verse 5, they've repented. From the animals all the way up to God, everybody's repented. But not Jonah. Okay? Stranger yet, guess what? Only one person in the entire text so far has actually done anything wrong. Yeah, obviously the Ninevites did something wrong, but they're not described anywhere in the text as having done anything wrong. No, none of their sins are described here. Jonah's is. Back in Jonah 1, we watched him commit the worst of all possible sins. Remember that? He basically gave God the middle finger, spit in God's face. Um, and then he taught some terrible theology to the sailors, basically told them that God wants human sacrifice. Then in chapter two, uh, we saw his, his self-righteous, egotistical pride, extremely arrogant prayer of Jonah in Jonah chapter two, where he said he was better than all those sailors. But you know, we, we talked about that. Very proud. Uh, here in chapter three, he has shown complete disregard for truly obeying God. He didn't even have half-hearted obedience, probably like 0.1% obedience is what he did, barely doing the bare minimum letter of the law obedience to God. He has shown absolutely no care for the people of God or even for the poor animals who, who live in the town. All right, Jonah has been sinning left and right. And even though everybody else in the text hasn't done anything wrong, at least not described by the text, we see them repenting, even God repents, and yet the one person who's described as sinning left and right all over the place, Jonah, he refuses to repent. Isn't that surprising? Of course, the book of Jonah is not over. There's still one chapter left. So the question for the person reading this story now is, will Jonah repent. What are we going to see about Jonah? Is Jonah going to see his own heart as this story draws to close in the final chapter? Well, that's what we are going to begin discussing next time when we pick back up in Jonah chapter 4. Make sure you join us then. And look, uh, if you enjoy my style of teaching, I know you will also enjoy my online courses I have in the discipleship area of my website. So you can learn more and sign up by visiting redeeminggod.com join. Look forward to seeing you there. So until next time, keep following Jesus wherever he leads. <laughs>